listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. Join us every week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Suter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And today's topic is about Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin, and the similarities he shares with the infamous former head of the Soviet Union between 1924 and 53, Joseph Stalin. We're asking, is Putin repeating history? Now, Keith, this is a really interesting topic. Mm. Uh, was written about in The Globalist recently by Alexei Bayer. He makes the point that Russia's historical arc seems to follow patterns. Where have we seen this before? Yeah, so in regard to strong leaders, the Russians take the view that they need to have strong leaders. So contrast that, say, with the United States, where they've got a government which is designed to fail. And that goes back <laughs> over 250 years when they set up the American Constitution. You've got three branches of government, any two of which can override a third. Yep. The US government is designed to fail and prevent another dictator from taking over because they'd had enough of King George III. Mm-hmm. So when they declared independence from Great Britain, they wanted to go to the other extreme and have a very light form of government. When you look at the Russian DNA, by contrast, there they need to have a strong ruler. Traditionally, of course, it's been a czar. Now that they're they're looking for new czars, obviously Stalin is one. Another one is now, of course, Vladimir Putin. They need that strong leader. And what this article is doing is simply contrasting or comparing the way in which Putin is following Stalin's footsteps. In personal terms, they start out as short individuals who got beaten up at school. Mm -hmm. They loathed their schoolmates. They developed a paranoid personality. They didn't trust anybody. (laughs) In Putin's case, he's not been able to take it to the same extreme as Stalin, who murdered millions of people. Mm. Putin can't do that so easily, but he is nonetheless making life very difficult for the people who disagree with him. Yeah, let's talk a bit more about the men's early life and how they grew up. Can we kind of point to that as part of what made them the men they are today? I think so, though I'm not really much of a psychi- uh, psychologist, <laughs> but the article certainly does make that argument that mm. they uh, both developed into a highly secretive approach to life, both uh, become skilled at uh, manipulation. Stalin never forgot a single insult. <laughs> 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 and, of course, if you think about Putin... You know, who was being challenged at one point by Prozorgin. He nonetheless arranged for Prozorgin's death. He waited a while, uh, lulled Prozorgin back into Russia, and then had him cured. Mm. Similarities between the pair. It's quite interesting, isn't it? The interesting thing as well pointed out in this article is how both Stalin and Putin seem to kind of come out of nowhere to then go on to be undisputed leaders. How does that happen? Yeah, it, it, it well, as I say, part of the Russian DNA is that they're always looking for strong leaders. Mm. And I guess when you've got such a huge area as Russia to govern, you need to have a certain ruthlessness to be able to hold that entire country together. It, even with the loss of its empire in the end of 1991, it was still a major land area. It's still the largest in the world. So I guess... Deep in the Russian DNA is this belief that you need to have that strong person at the top in order to keep the country together. So 
So I think that that's an important factor. I think also that these are skilled operators who can exploit the chances as they arise, and they've both been able to do so. So both followed on from colourful characters. In Stalin's case, of course, it was Lenin who died in unusual circumstances, may have been poisoned. Mm. Uh, That seems to be the Russian way of changing government. In fact, it's interesting because Lenin had actually warned against Stalin and said, don't have him as the next leader. Right. So Stalin was able to get people to forget that advice Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) uh, from (laughs) Lenin. In the case of Putin, he took over from Yeltsin, a very colourful character, very fond of the bottle, but certainly, again, very colourful. So you've got these two rather doer individuals who both came to power after colourful individuals. Mm. But again, it seems to appeal to Russians. Yeah, I was going to ask that next, actually, is that do you think their respective rises to power say more about Russia than it does about the men themselves? I think so. It says a lot about the mentality of the Russians their belief in the need to have a good, strong leader, very important Mm. from their point of view. Mm. So it's not a a communist idea. It's something which is deep in the Russian DNA and it goes back to all of the czars which they'd had over the the centuries. Mm. And brutality is very much, I I regret to say, because I like studying Russian history, but I've got to say that it's a very brutal history. One of my favourite examples of this is the architects who worked on that magnificent church in Red Square in Moscow. Red, by the way, doesn't allude to communism. It just simply means beautiful. Mm. The Tsar who'd commissioned the work did not want anybody else being able to commission those same builders to do another rival version, so he had them all blinded. Oh, my God. (laughs) Brutal is right. Brutality, the cruelty that you see in Russian history. Mm. And so, yes, I think it also says something about the Russian character and the need for such a, a strong leader and the failure, really, of democracy as we know it. What about the early stages of Stalin and Putin's time in power? What can we draw from that? What has happened? You know, is, are there any parallels between Stalin's early years as a leader and Putin's? Well, both of them, of course, were leaders at a time when their respective countries had gone through a tragic breakdown. So in Mm. the case of Stalin, when he came to power, we'd had the Russian Revolution, the empire was breaking up, other parts of the Russian Empire were seeking independence. So we were getting Eastern Europe becoming independent. And so he really had to rebuild the country. And as I say, did that through dictatorial means. So when H.G. Wells went to visit Stalin, all Stalin wanted to talk about was electrification. Mm. He saw that as the key factor. And he also, of course, collectivised the agriculture, which was horrendous in Ukraine. It led to the Holodomor, the um, Great Famine within Ukraine, which Ukrainians remember to this day. That was Stalin's approach to trying to bring order and economic progress, as he saw it, to the new Soviet Union. In Putin's situation, he inherited a country which had just lost that Soviet empire. So again, the East European countries had become independent. We're beginning to see this sort of cycle of history. Mm -hmm. So the East Europeans were independent. Russia had shrunk in terms of its front garden. And Putin's task was to try to reassemble the country 
and to reverse some of the changes made by his predecessor, Yeltsin, and to solidify within the Russian power, within the, the Russian government. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're discussing whether Vladimir Putin is repeating history and what his similarities with Joseph Stalin could predict what happens next in Russia. You mentioned the brutality and we touched on it a little bit at the start, but it's clear that Putin's regime to this point is far less cruel than Stalin's. Talk us through a bit more the Great Terror and what that looked like. So Stalin gets comes to power in the mid-1920s and periodically had purges, including, as I say, the Great Terror. And it continued all the way through until he died. So there'd be people about whom he was suspicious. At the end of his life, he was suspicious of Jewish doctors. Mm. So he was then purging Jewish doctors. It was also an interesting time in the late 1930s when Hitler had come to power in Germany and the British government, which was then the major superpower, had to work out how to respond. Now, some members of the government said, let's work with the Soviets. We know there is this rivalry between Hitler and the Soviet Union. So let's work with the Soviets to make life difficult for the Germans. And you had others who were saying, no, let's work with the the Germans to attack the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. And this part of what the theory of appeasement was about, that you improve relations with Germany, create a common frontier between Germany and the Soviet Union, paving the way for an invasion of the Soviet Union, which took place in, in June 1941. One of the factors that weighed on the mind of the British politicians was that the number of generals being assassinated or purged by Stalin each week when he had a crackdown on the Russian military. Mm. He was killing each week more generals in the Russian army than the British had generals in the British army. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so a lot of the... You know, the, the British reasoning was saying, well, we can't do a deal with Stalin because he's weakening his own defence force. He would be an unreliable ally. And that sort of helped prop up the case for the British to work with Hitler. The ultimate game was to get Hitler to fight with Stalin, which is what happened in June 1941. Mm. Between June 41 and June 44, which is D-Day and the Allied invasion of Europe, really the World War II in Europe was between Russia the Soviet Union, and Germany. Mm. So that's what the British planning had been about in the 1930s. And in the end, they had sided with Hitler because they just thought that Stalin was going to be such a a weak ally because he was just wiping out his own forces. Mm. So it actually did him a great deal of damage to be so brutal towards his own people. Now, the problem is that Putin has also got a range of lousy generals as well, which is why they're doing so badly in Ukraine, but he can't do what Stalin did, namely go around assassinating them. Yeah, why do you think Putin, do you think it's just modern attitudes, I suppose? Why can't Putin be as brutal as Stalin was? I think I think values have changed. Yeah. I think that a lot of Russians, they like a strong leader, but they don't want one who's going to be going around killing millions of people again. Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. Look at the damage that it did to us in the World War. So they, they would not be in favour of having mass exterminations. Mm. But they are obviously, in, I'm sorry to say, they are in favour of critics of Putin being silenced. Yeah. But not in the large numbers. And don't forget, I think that 
deep down in the Russian psyche, there was a recognition that a lot of the people who were punished were really innocent of all the charges. People just simply at these show trials agreed to plead guilty because they knew they were going to be tortured mm. and still die. Yeah. So it's much better to get it over and done with in one go mm. uh, rather than putting up a, an argument that, in fact, I'm innocent. But I think a lot of Russians deep down would know that a lot of those people who were put on trial were actually innocent of what they were being accused of. Let's talk about the failed invasions. I put an asterisk next to failed <laughs> given Ukraine. It's still going on, but mm. I suppose the uh, the initial push into Ukraine didn't go as Putin probably expected. But Stalin also had a failed invasion in Finland. Yeah. What, what can we draw from the two of those? So this is the Winter War, which a lot of people outside of Finland have forgotten about. Mm. But the Finns put up a great struggle because they've got a long common border with the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union, at the beginning of World War II, with everybody focused on Germany, thought that this would be a good time to take over Finland mm. and, in fact, failed to do so. But the quid pro quo was that Finland said, we will remain permanently neutral, which the Finns honoured until this year. With the invasion of Ukraine, the attack on Ukraine, Finland overturned all these decades of tradition and said, well, we're going to join NATO. Mm. And so NATO is this very long common border with Russia in the north. And the Finns put up a very good struggle in that winter war. And again, was a, a further reminder about the weakness of the Soviet Union and gave a wrong hint to Hitler about the weakness of the Soviet Union. If Finland could resist the Soviet Union, then it showed how weak the Soviet Union was. Therefore, Germany would be in a good position to invade when they eventually did in June of 1941. Mm. What does the age of 70 have in terms <laughs> of significance for Stalin and Putin? This is something in the article which I found intriguing, that he argues that for Stalin, reaching the age of 70 in 1948 became a watershed. Mm. And so it seems for Putin, who's just turned 70 in October, perhaps they realise the clock is ticking they need to be getting on. Stalin would be dead within five years. Putin obviously must have thought, well, I better hurry up and make sure that I get all the runs on the board that I want to because mm. I also could be dying in office, even though Russian medicine has improved considerably. And he is a keeper fit fanatic, as you would have seen. <laughs> he likes horse riding. Like horse riding. <laughs> <laughs> so, but nonetheless, you know, he's obviously aware that the clock is ticking down. Mm. And he's obviously, like Stalin, determined that he will die in office. He's not going to retire mm. uh, because his worry will be that if he does retire, whoever replaces him may treat him badly, may confiscate all the buildings that he's managed to accumulate. He's one of the wealthiest individuals in the world. Really? Although he tries to give the impression of being very abstemious. Mm. You know, he's only got one sort of design of, of suits or shirts and whatever. But the argument is that he owns a number of splendid buildings in the country and they'll obviously be worried about losing those in retirement. The other question that comes up is succession and you kind of touched on it there. You know, what happens, let me rephrase it, is Putin of the mind of I need to have good people around me who are going to take over when I die? Is he planning for that at all or is that not on his radar at all? You can't do that if you're a dictator mm. because the people that you nominate as potential replacements 
may get impatient and so remove you from power. It's something that we tend to take for granted, particularly in Australia, that one of the values of our election system is a smooth transfer of power. So that when Scott Morrison lost the election, he lost the election, moved out of the Prime Minister's residence in Canberra, and the same will happen when the current Prime Minister either loses the election or the confidence of his own party or whatever. We take that for granted, but this smooth transition of power is very important in Western countries. And that's what the Americans could pride themselves on until Donald Trump came along yeah. on January the 6th a couple of years ago when he decided he wasn't going to leave the White House. Even if he lost the election, he wasn't going to leave. Mm. That's why American lawyers are so upset about the behaviour of January the 6th because it disrupted this pattern of the smooth transfer of power from one president to another. The problem for a dictatorship is that it's very difficult to organise a smooth transfer of power, not only in Russia, you know, it's a problem in China. Mm. Because if you look at the death of Chairman Mao in 1976, it took three years to work out who was going to be the new leader because there was all this juggling for power, including the widow herself wanting to get involved in trying to run the country. And that'll be a problem when President Xi dies. If President Xi was suddenly to die in office, there'd be this question about who's going to replace him. Mm. There's no system for a smooth transfer of power within China, and there isn't one either within Russia. So it is a real problem um, that Putin will leave this power vacuum and then there'll be a scramble to see who will take over from him. Obviously, at one point, Prizhorgin thought he stood a chance, but... <laughs> well, that didn't work out. No, no, Putin had other plans for him. <laughs> like he does for a lot of people, it seems. So then what of the future of Russia, Keith? What will happen in the next couple of decades? Well, we know that Putin's not going to last for the next couple of decades, even if he is a keep-fit fanatic and does all this exercise, <laughs> etc. Of course, the worry this time round is that Russia is a nuclear power. So who gets access to the nuclear weapons if Putin was suddenly to die in office? There is a blog in Russia which claims that Putin has already died. And what we're seeing at the moment are body doubles, in effect. Right. Or that he is seriously ill. Mm. And again, we're just seeing the body doubles, not the real Putin. So that's a, a blog. People send me information on that blog from Russia saying that Putin's already been removed from power. And so what's going on at the moment is that they've got a body double just simply to give the impression that Putin is still alive. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, they're trying to rearrange the furniture. Mm. So they will then be able to announce Putin has died and this is his new replacement. Right. Do you think that's likely? It's possible. Who it's knows? Possible, Who, yeah. You never know what goes on in Russia. True. You know, Winston <laughs> Churchill used to refer to this puzzle inside an enigma, um, etc. So you never really know what goes on inside Russia. But it is now very worrying because Russia is a major nuclear power. Mm. And so this whole question of succession has global consequences. Mm. And if you look back at the death of, of Stalin, originally people you know, as soon as they thought that he was in trouble, they didn't want to go near the bedroom in case he was just being suspicious. Remember, he was always paranoid mm -hmm. and might just be testing people, see how they were going to react to his death, wow. whether it be cheering in the streets or whatever. Mm. In fact, the poor old guy had died, but it took a while for any assistance to even be thought about. And then you had this period of upheaval until you ended up with a, a new Soviet leader because you had all this jostling for power. Mm. So we will go through another similar period, I think, 
in the event of Putin dying. Mm. The links between Stalin and Putin, pretty clear to see, but I guess like we talked about at the top, I guess it says more about Russia than it does about the men. Thanks yep. for your time, Keith. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.